just in and so good. Thousands of summer deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save up to 60% on new arrivals from Vince, Rag & Bone, Adidas, Joe's, Marc Jacobs, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. But hurry for first dibs. Get your summer favorites up to 60% off at Nordstrom Rack today. Great brands, great prices. That's why you rack. Okay, let's do some quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. That's obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. To reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. Here's the thing. Information is power. Information is money. Literally, the currency of today's world of, of entrepreneurship is information. And if you could bring all of the, your, the information about your business into one dashboard, this is incredibly valuable. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of the truth about your business. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, access from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all of your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. This is so valuable. You just hit a button and you can see all the information about your business instead of having to like call five different departments and get all these emails and put it all together and make sense of it. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Backed by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash james. netsuite.com slash james. netsuite.com slash james. I've had to switch entire careers, and doing that is a lonely and scary feeling. Reinvent Yourself, the book, is all about taking action, no matter where you are starting from. And in this book, I disclose how we've turned our lives around and how I know you can too, no matter where you're starting from, because I've started from the bottom. Whether you want to supplement your income with a little extra cash or replace your job, the book Reinvent Yourself will show you how. I've reserved a copy for anyone listening to this today, all you have to do is go to www.reinventbook.net. That's www.reinventbook.net to learn more. That's www.reinventbook.net. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show on the Choose Yourself Network. Today on the James Altucher Show. People need an explanation for evil. And the normal explanation for evil or bad things often is very unsatisfying. It's strangely comforting to think that no, evil things don't happen by accident. They happen because there's this evil group of people, which sounds terrifying, except that if it's caused by an evil group of people, you can unmask them. You can go defeat them. Like conspiracy theories, as dark as they are, provide a sort of hopeful... Um, uh, 
backstory because if virtuous people in our society heroically unmask like Dick Cheney or the Illuminati or, or you know, the Rothschild, you know, whoever's the subject of your conspiracy, in theory, that provides you with grounds for hope that we can live in a society without evil because you've defeated the evil. So the more grandiose the conspiracy theory, the more evil you ascribe to the evildoers, the more hopeful you are of this utopia that will come as opposed to the world we live in, which is unsatisfying, that evil is just, it happens. But what's the tipping point where someone who goes from an evil situation to saying, okay, this was a controllable evil situation, and then they're off into the world of conspiracies? Um, you see this in the aftermath of tragedies. Because I realize that we are all, in some senses, we have the ingredients of conspiracism. We all want to know why bad things happen to good people, and we don't have perfect trust in the authority figures who are supposed to manage human evil. And conspiracism is a pathological extrapolation and combination of those two elements. But we all have some baseline level of both elements within us. And it manifests itself when we have political arguments. Because when we get heated, sometimes we sound like conspiracy theorists. You know, oh, you're, you know, you're a conservative. You, know, you just want to go kill people in the Middle East or whatever. Like, okay, well, that's the way conspiracy theorists talk. What do you think is the closest you become to a conspiracy theorist? Oh, God. If you want to feel more productive overnight without having to change your morning routine, your diet, your sleep schedule, or if you want to just make an easy change that gets you fast results, do what I do. Drink mushroom coffee from my sponsor, Four Sigmatic. This stuff is amazing. Within minutes, I become so focused, I almost don't realize that I'm fully in flow. It's almost like all your distractions just melt away. Thoughts get quieter, the outside world gets quieter, and it tastes great. I just, I have it even in the afternoon. Normally, I don't like to have coffee in the afternoon, but now with this, I do. I have a special offer, 15% off your Four Sigmatic order. Just go to foursigmatic.com slash altature or enter code altature at checkout. That is Four Sigmatic, F-O-U-R-S-I-G-M-A-T-I-C.com slash altature to receive 15% off your order. If your team uses public Wi-Fi for work, your business or you personally are vulnerable to data theft. That's why you need TunnelBear for Teams, an easy-to-use Wi-Fi security app built specifically for teams that are regularly on the go. And unlike other VPNs, expensing is easy. There are no licenses to juggle or one-off invoices to manage. Try TunnelBear for Teams for free for seven days by signing up at tunnelbear.com james. So, Jonathan Kay, you wrote a book, Among the Truthers, all about conspiracy theories and the kind of people who are obsessed with them. Um, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. And uh, uh, there's one thing. We, we, so we were talking a few weeks ago, and I was, I don't know if you remember, I described this th thread that I had started on my Facebook page. I was writing something about vaccines, and I really wasn't, the article wasn't about vaccines. I mentioned some person who was anti-vaccine and all these senators were asking this person for advice. And what really stunned me was that all these, you know, supposedly qualified politicians were, were asking this celebrity for advice about her opinion on vaccines. And that was the striking part. But then a thousand comments, I had never had a thousand comments on a post before a thousand comments erupted within 24 hours, just 
nonstop, like a comment every few seconds, arguing with each other about vaccine versus anti-vaccine. And, and some of the comments were so stupid and inane, but then I realized every time anybody combated those comments with truth or facts or, you know, pointing out that their sources were really, you know, not real sources, they, they would, they had all sorts of techniques of just reframing the picture so that they would still continue arguing their argument. I don't know if I'm explaining it accurately. So it's true. There's all sorts of techniques that conspiracy theorists use in the context you describe, but I would argue that there's really one meta technique and the meta technique can be, um, the metaphor is a series of concentric circles. So the concentric circles represent the expanding conspiracy. So like, let's say, you know, 9-11 truthers. Right. And just to mention, you wrote a book, Among the Truthers. This is, so, You're this, like the yeah. expert on this. I don't know if the expert, but this is ancient history to some extent, because I wrote the book in 2011, uh, eight years ago. And, you know, like I, I had a line in there about Donald Trump. Oh yeah, you know, this whack job, he'll never get anywhere. But like, so it's, <laughs> it's dated. The book is, is quite dated. Um, but this part isn't dated, which is the concentric circles where, you know, the case study I use is is 9-11 truthers. These are the people who believe 9-11 was like an inside job and Dick Cheney and George Bush were in on it, that sort of thing. And so I, I talk about arguing with them and, you know, your counter argument might be, but look, um, you know, uh, there was, you know, belatedly there was a government investigation, uh, you know, the 9-11 commission and they came out with the report and they'll say, ah, but the commissioners were in on it because, you know, if you look at the people who were uh, staff, the commission, you know, this guy's second cousin's hairdresser uh, once visited Pakistan, so that proves that, you know, he's in the palm of CIA. And they'll say, okay, fine, forget the 9-11 commission. You know, what about the media? Like, don't you think that if this were a conspiracy, the media would report? And it says, oh, the media, like, please, that's a joke. And they'll, they'll draw another big concentric circle. And then the concentric circles will swallow up the judiciary. It'll swallow up... Um, uh, you know, Google, it'll swallow up Wikipedia, it'll swallow up uh, every imaginable authority you can name so that as you keep providing what you think is evidence to debunk the conspiracy theory, it's just very easy for the person to keep growing the circle. So, it's, it's an iterative process. Because if the person came right out and said, here are the, here are the people who I think are in on this conspiracy and named like, a, you know, a hundred different actors in society, like that would sound ludicrous. But what happens is it's like they, they rely on this gradualist approach where you say, okay, even if I acknowledge that, but even if I acknowledge that. And so every expansion of the concentric circles is a little bit, a little bit, until it encompasses everyone in society except them. So, so could, could, could we play with this example? Like, let's say you say something like, um, you know, hundreds of people would have had to have been involved. Right. How would they keep that? Uh, you know, the government can't even keep you know, what, what, what color Donald Trump's tie is a, a, a secret. How are they going to keep something like 9-11 so, yeah. a secret? No, so that, but that is an argument from general principle. And it is absolutely true that, uh, an that in general, history does show that any conspiracy that involves like more than two or three people like gets uncovered because people are bad at keeping secrets. But that kind of argument is almost like a statistical argument. You're saying like, oh, there's so many ways that this conspiracy could go haywire so surely it must have gone a haywire, but that doesn't satisfy anybody. Like it doesn't even satisfy me because like as somebody who's trying to debunk a conspiracy theorist, I want to be like slam dunk. Like, okay, you know, page 37 of this report or like, and doing that 
that's what gets that's what feeds them because usually conspiracy theorists have m- much more expertise on the underlying subject than people who aren't conspiracy theorists. Yeah, that's the scary part. You will you can't never argue with win a fight against a conspiracy theorist if you talk about things like 9/11. If you talk about like you know the the structural engineering of the World Trade Center, they're 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 experts on it. Uh, you know, they read all the reports. Right, but, but so that's a great example, though. Like, a lot of them say it, there must be evidence of explosives because the buildings fell straight down. But just the laws of physics, the buildings are going to fall straight well, down. so, and also, <laughs> I mean, gravity. There, there was actually a fairly detailed study which showed that the buildings did not quite fall at, like, the speed of, like, you know, a, a sphere dropping from, you know, the height of the building. There, there was a, de- for, for anybody who's interested, you know, I think it was 2000 and, Two that that it was a peer-reviewed study, um, but in general, like in when you have an engine, what's known as a, like a catastrophic engineering collapse, uh, often you know whether it's a bridge or a building or something like that, the speed of descent of the constituent elements will be won't exactly be, but it'll be fairly close to pure gravity. Like it's 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 not far off, um, but that's <laughs> one of the reasons. These, these arguments are easy for conspiracy theorists to make, is it's not like we have a lot of experience as ordinary viewers of media watching uncontrolled destruction of huge municipal infrastructure. Like, it's not like these buildings fall all the time. And so when one does fall like that, you're like, holy crap, the only other time I've seen something like that was when they tore down the YMCA in my neighborhood, you know, 10 years ago, using controlled demolition. Because in controlled demolition, you know, buildings, that's how they fall. Mm. And so the only frame of reference for a lot of people was visual. They said, that looks like controlled demolition. And it does look like controlled demolition because it's the only other time I've ever seen a building fall like that. So, but, but like, they'll argue, oh, why didn't it tip over? You've never seen a building tip over. <laughs> well, <laughs> that, um, I mean, but that's the level of sophistication that people have is that, uh, again, we don't know a lot about this sort of stuff. And I should say, though, that not everybody is, you know, at a sort of sandcastle level of sophistication. There was a guy I profiled in my book. His name was Richard Gage, who was an actual architect. And he started a group called Architects and Engineers for 9-11 Truth uh, out in California. This is, I mean, he designed shopping centers. He didn't design skyscrapers. But he was influential because, unlike a lot of these other folks, he actually had, he, I mean, he was a legitimate architect. He, he like, he had the diploma on his wall. And so he attracted a large following. And he was able to, to give presentations that were like very technical in nature. But the biggest factor was video. Video is the most effective propaganda there is. And the 9-11 Truther movement coincided with the rise of cheap, user-made uh, video. Loose Change was an example. Uh, I think Loose Change was made for like $50,000. And the people who made it were very smart. They put in like this very eerie, bassy techno music, which like just invades your brain. And, you know, you just hear the music and a person can say anything when that music is playing. Like it's, 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 it's hypnotic. But again, what would they do when you con- confront with facts, even this architect guy? Like, no, you, you can structurally, this is how a building like this would fall. Or again, what would, what would he say to the fact that how did hundreds of people keep this a secret? Or you know, any of the other, you know, evidence that... Well, if you address minute detail-by-detail stuff, you're never really going to get anywhere because, um, as I say, you know, these people are are experts. They have much more invested in their answer than I have in my answer. 
And in terms of the the very general arguments, like, well, no one's ever pulled this sort of thing off, they have their own counterexamples. You know, there's a guy, he's actually from Toronto, and he, he uh, I remember when I made an argument like this, he confronted me, me with this book he'd written. It was a history of false flag operations. Um, and you know what his first false flag operation was? It was when uh, the Greeks delivered uh, that big wooden horse in Detroit. And he said, that was a false flag operation, and it worked. And he said, there are thousands of people inside. It was the ultimate inside job. They were inside the horse, right? And they came out, and that wasn't a secret, and that worked. And like, yeah, oh my God, you're right. And <laughs> like when I wrote the book, uh, remember, I actually right, I took my mom to one of these 9-11 truther uh, demonstrations, and she saw Richard Gage speak. It was in Montreal. And she's pretty smart, and she came out, and she was like, wow, there's a lot of questions that, like, I can't answer. And it made me realize, like, how powerful this stuff is. One person was telling me once, a, a 9-11 truther, oh, how come there's no real photos of the plane that went into the Pentagon? And I, you just Google, and you see there's photos. Well, of- I mean, it is true that it's like we live in an age where we just expect everything is going to be devel- uh, delivered in high resolution. Like most of us, when we're when we're consuming news, when we're consum- consuming sports, like that has shaped our expectation of what media should look like. And so instead, like in the case of the plane hitting the Pentagon, uh, I think like, oh God, it's been a while, but I remember like the only video available of, from one angle was like from like a gas station. It was like a black, grainy black and white thing. And, you, you know, you could kind of see it happening, but it was it was really, really vague. And for a lot of people, that's suspicious because, you know, if, if a lot of stuff they watch on YouTube, you know, they can see it from every angle. And, and that has conditioned our expectation. So what was, what was it in, in, I mean, you researched a lot of conspiracy theories, like everything from JFK to vaccines to 9-11 to... Well, JFK is the, is the granddaddy of them all. Yeah. And, yeah. and what was the thing that surprised you the most in terms of a conspiracy theorist being, conf- you know, faced with real evidence and a lot of it and they still couldn't believe it. They still you somehow had a cognitive bias to deny it and present evidence counter. Jeez, oh, um, I think it's got. To, it is the autism thing because, like, in the, the autism, vaccine and autism. Yeah, because the study that was the originator of all the stuff. Uh, it was. The, it was that that uh, British. Uh, he he wasn't even. It was not. It's not like he was an epidemiologist or an expert on autism. I think he was like a gastrointestinal doctor. Uh, Wakefield. It was Andrew Wakefield. I think was his name, right? Uh, he was the guy, if I remember correctly, he advanced the original study. If I remember, it was actually ultimately like uh, retracted from the Lancet uh, where it originally appeared. It was a very small sample size, and the guy was completely disgraced. But to this day, you will find people citing that study. Uh, and w- one thing that's interesting about the autism thing is that Body integrity conspiracy theories are one of the few kinds of conspiracy theories that are equally shared between men and women. So 9-11 conspiracy theories, it's mostly men because it's like this Buck Rogers science fiction. You know, some guys think it was like a hologram. Like, I mean, it's just people living in this kind of like science fiction uh, schoolboy fantasy universe. Um, autism is different. A lot of it is, is women who... Uh, it's a body integrity issue because you're injecting weird stuff into the body. You don't know what's in it, right? And also, and this is something that, that people often don't recognize, the onset of the symptom, symptoms associated with autism often coincide biologically with the period during which kids get a lot of their vaccines. 
And so it's for, for reasons that have nothing to do with causation, you've got a mother takes the kid to the doctor, uh, gets the, the uh, injections, and then a couple of months later, another specialist may say, hey, I think there's, there's evidence your kid may have autism. Yeah, and probably, let's say in the 1950s when vaccines were on the rise, the definition of autism and the public acceptance of autism was changing as well. No, but they had other hangups then. Like one thing I talk about in that book um, is that um, the advent of ultrasound technology and the ability to see your fetus inside a woman's body, um, that had a huge effect on conspiracy theories because suddenly it was like uh, people started reporting UFOs that looked like fetuses that were you know, probing or scanning our bodies in all kinds of invasive ways. So often it is the state of medical technology and the anxieties that are produced therefrom that produce the kind of um, fictional background for for conspiracy theories. Or, you know, like CIA, like when there was, you know, a, a legitimate uh, concern about what, what the CIA was doing, people who were schizophrenic started reporting that the CIA were implanting radios in their teeth. Like, oh, I get blog posts about me reporting that I'm doing that. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I have no comment on... on From on, a Canadian, no less. On your, on your <laughs> methods. Let's stop to take a quick break. We'll be right back. I have never tried what some people call magic mushrooms. It's a hallucinogenic. And I don't plan to ever try it. But... I was having a conversation with a friend of mine, in fact, on this very podcast, and uh, I was talking to Tiro, and he was telling me all these amazing benefits of his company, which sells almost like nutraceutical mushrooms. They're mushrooms that his family has grown for hundreds of years. They're not like mushrooms that you cook with, but you put this in your coffee or your tea, or they're edible in some way. And I've tried it. I live by these mushrooms now. Four Sigmatic is his company, it's Tiro's company, Four Sigmatic, and... You know, here's some facts that Tiro was telling me. 64% of Americans drink coffee daily. And I personally think this is how I drink coffee. I drink it with Four Sigmatic mushroom coffee. So I think everybody should try this. And trust me, mushroom coffee is more than just coffee. It's coffee plus. It contains lion's mane mushrooms, which is my, my favorite of the functional mushrooms. It boosts the brain. I would say it's my brain's best friend in the morning. It supports focus, productivity, creativity. Uh, there's another mushroom, which I also take uh, with my coffee, uh, chaga, which is considered the king of mushrooms. Chaga supports your immune system and has all sorts of antioxidants. And again, even though these shrooms are not hallucinogenic, they will make you think. You're probably thinking, does this coffee taste like mushrooms? I can guarantee the coffee tastes better. It tastes just like regular coffee, but it's, it's, it's good coffee. It's like quality coffee. It's made with 100% organic Arabica coffee beans. It has zero sugar, zero carbs, zero calories. It's organic, vegan, paleo, sugar-free, dairy-free. Uh, sounds like a miracle. And you know what? Maybe it is. I I've, ever since I met Tira, I've been taking this mushroom coffee every day. Four Sigmatic mushroom coffee has half the caffeine of regular coffee, but it is truly magical. Easy to use packets you can take anywhere. Stash them in your gym bag, your suitcase, anywhere so easy to use like any other coffee and then finally i get to take what seems like nutraceuticals but without the drag of taking all these pills and whatever just drink it with my coffee we have a special offer for you for the james aldrich show audience receive 15 percent off of your four sigmatic order just go to foursigmatic.com altature or enter code altature at checkout 
That's foursigmatic.com, F-O-U-R-S-I-G-M-A-T-I-C.com slash Altature to receive 15% off your order. Just give it a try. It tastes great, feels great, it's healthy. You're not going to regret it. I like to have good lighting in my house, particularly in the winter months or the gray months. I really like to have lamps. I like the place to look good. I like to read uh, real books before I go to sleep. So that means I don't read like a screen. I need a table lamp, for instance, to read. I want these things to look good, which is why I like this new sponsor, Lamps Plus. They've been helping customers love their spaces for 40 years with chandeliers, ceiling lights, table lamps, and more. And the light itself is like jewelry for the home. Lamps Plus is the nation's largest lighting retailer with over 55,000 designs from top brands and their own exclusive designs in lighting, home furnishings, and decor. You don't have to guess at what the designs will look like or wander around the aisles of a big box store. Lamps Plus has videos with design tips and all the photos on their site to tell you which light fixtures or furniture pieces are featured so it's easy to buy what you like. They also have a large selection of Minka Lavery lighting to transform your home into wonderful living areas. Minka Lavery is known for designs that blend function and style using innovative materials. I got a lamp from Lamps Plus, the uh, Lesnar 20-inch table lamp, and it's also got a USB charger in it, which I didn't realize, so it's great. Um, I could plug in my phone right next to my bed. I love how it looks. I love the light in it, and uh, I love reading before I go to bed. So... Here's the thing. Get up to 50% off hundreds of lights, furniture, and decor between November 25th and December 24th. That's up to 50% off during the Lamps Plus holiday sale, November 25th through December 24th. Go to Lamps Plus, L-A-M-P-S-P-L-U-S, lampsplus.com slash James to start saving today. That's lampsplus.com slash James. Often conspiracy theories end up being this weird mishmash of a person's delusions, which, you know, in some sad cases, it's the person actually has a, a psychiatric illness, uh, with legitimate anxieties about, um, like, stuff that's going on in the world. You know, 9-11 conspiracy theories were BS, but there was a grain of truth, like with every conspiracy theory, you know, there was a grain of truth to the fact that the United States has done some screwed up things in order to precipitate foreign conflicts, right? Like there, there, there is a basis for that. And, and you know, the influence of oil companies in Washington. It's not like that part isn't completely made up. The 9-11 truth of stuff is completely made up. But all of these things, there's usually some legitimate uh, underlying basis for anxiety that is the psychological engine for these people. To so do. there's some basis for anxiety that mixes with kind of a kind of catastrophic event or, or, or scenario or whatever. And then... There's these concentric circles where if you say, well, this happened on this time, then, you know, they have an explanation. And if you say, well, you know, if you keep kind of solving their each circle, they'll, they'll go to a wider well, that's, circle. That's a method of proof. But that method of proof has nothing to do with the psychological uh, dynamo. The psychological dynamo is people need an explanation for evil. And the normal explanation for evil or bad things often is very unsatisfying because often, you know, People get, get hit by lightning or, you know, they, uh, I don't know, random crime or some people get horrible diseases and some people don't. And that's very unsatisfying to live in this random world. It's strangely comforting to think that, no, 
evil things don't happen by accident. They happen because there's this evil group of people, which sounds terrifying, except that if it's caused by an evil group of people, you can unmask them. You can go defeat them. Like conspiracy theories, as dark as they are, provide a sort of hopeful um, uh, backstory because if virtuous people in our society heroically unmask like Dick Cheney or the Illuminati or, or you know, the Rothschild, you know, whoever's the subject of your conspiracy, in theory, that provides you with grounds for hope that we can live in a society without evil because you've defeated the evil. So the more grandiose the conspiracy theory, the more evil you ascribe to, to the evildoers, the more hopeful you are of this utopia that will, will come once they've been defeated because you've defeated the source of evil. Like, that's, that's cool, right? You've defeated evil. As opposed to the, the world we live in, which is unsatisfying, that evil is just, it happens. But what's the tipping point where someone, and let's excuse psychological illnesses for a second, what's the tipping point where someone who goes from an evil situation to saying, okay, this was a controllable evil situation, and then they're off into the world of conspiracies. Like, what, what, so what distinguishes it's, it's that? Typically, person? the spark of distrust. Well, first of all, there's already a predilection for it because um, anger, uh, anger, is a more uh, psychologically easy emotion to control than than fear. Uh, or jealousy, or like like anger often will um, propel action, whereas if like you know if you're fearful, it'll often propel paralysis. Uh, so often it's it's people often like to substitute anger for other things. You see this in the aftermath of tragedies, you know, like there'll be some some horrible thing happens and people will go like loot stores or they'll get mad at the government or they'll like just or they'll do you know they'll. Uh, they'll go kill people from a mi minority population because they just they want to channel their their sadness into into anger and it's uh, with tragic results. Uh, but often, so there's that background uh, weakness we all have. But there's also distrust uh, that you have a breach of trust with authority figures in society, and that metastasizes to all authority figures. So, like one guy I profiled in my 2011 book, he was a um, he was from the Balkans. And he couldn't process it in his mind the way NATO um, had sided with the Kosovar Albanians uh, against Slo uh, Slobodan Milosevic. Like, he, he was just disgusted. It just didn't make sense. You know, like, all his life he thought, uh, you know, the Serbs fought on the right side in World War II, and it was the Croatians who fought, you know, on the Nazi side, and the Kosovar Albanians were like, you know, they were smugglers, and... Um, and he couldn't process, process it in his mind, but then he saw on TV and there was all these, this video evidence of atrocities that the Serbs had committed against the KLA and the Kosovo Albanian and stuff. And he just, he had this rupture, this distrust. He said, I don't trust the media at all. I think this stuff was all done in a studio. The video is fake because he could, the cognitive dissonance was too much for him to handle. The reality that Serbs did bad things with his image of who was the real evildoer in the Balkans. And the cognitive dissonance grew too much, and there was a rupture. And at the heart of that rupture was the sense of distrust, media, government, NATO. And once that distrust hits, you stop trusting anybody. It's not like you say, well, I trust that government, that government, but not that government. You stop trusting all governments. You, you stop trusting everybody. And that's, that's why the biggest predictive factor for whether you believe in a conspiracy theory tends to be whether you believe in other conspiracy theories. Hmm. Uh, because, and, like, 
once once you go down the rabbit hole, it's very hard to stop. So how do you, not that you should fight a conspiracy theorist or argue with one, but let's say you happen to be kind of in this discussion and you and you feel like this need to say, no, you know, you should vaccinate your kids uh, or so whatever. You're, you're, like, not, you're not going to convince. Although, interesting, I think the most success people have is at the local level. So, um, again, it's been a while since I studied this closely, but I think like a person's local doctor or their personal family doctor is going to have more success um, convincing them to vaccinate their kid than if, if you show them a video from like the Surgeon General or something or like uh, from a pharmaceutical company. So, uh, you know, the closer the authority is, if it's a friend or family member, you're more likely to have success. That's interesting because like in Robert Cialdini's book, Influence, he discusses, you know, the kind of the seven methods to influence someone and authority is really important. So like, oh, the Surgeon General's doing it. So I, that's, yeah. no, but, no, but, 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 but you're saying basically authority is a blocked basically. No, so I've, I've read Robert Cialdini's work and um, he's often talking about things like mass retail. Like, you know, uh, or he's talking about selling people stuff or business deals. Right, but this is an example of, of you know, a, a mass vision. Okay, we yeah. all believe in, you know, 9-11 because, you know, the, the media, the government, that's right. authority. But then there's social proof. Like we know, so Robert Giudlini has this concept of social proof where people you know locally were affected and you're saying that has more yeah. power. But 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 Cialdini's work, uh, which I've cited like in, in other contexts, uh, is is often based on things like product quality. You know, mm. it's not based on like a forensic examination of a person's soul. So you know, when conspiracy theorists say that uh, you know I don't trust the government, or you know, they're not saying like I don't trust the quality of governance. They're saying I don't trust the intentions of the government. Uh, which is like a very different proposition than someone who's an expert on marketing and expert on like you know mass retail strategies. Um, so I, I, I would see a big difference between them. But to go to your question about like how do you talk to somebody who's a conspiracy theorist, one thing I, I realized very quickly in my research is you don't get far asking them what they believe or the details of what they believe because first of all, they'll just talk for hours. Um, and also just, it's, it's like mind numbing. You know, like they'll tell you about, you know, every floor of the South Tower. And um, the more interesting question and the more educational question is, when did you start believing this? Tell me the time in your life when you started believing this. And often uh, they'll describe to you the time in their life when their trust with larger society ruptured. So this, we all want an explanation for evil. And once we stop trusting authority figures in our life, the combination of that desire to have an explanation for evil and this distrust, that's, that is the perfect petri, di petri dish for conspiracy theories. And you may find out like, um, you know, it was because their business went bankrupt or they had a, a personal tragedy or they got sick uh, or, you know, their kid developed symptoms of, uh, or exhibited symptoms of autism. Um, it was something, something of that nature. Or, you know, in the case of this guy I talked about before, it was, it was the, I think it was 1999, the war in Kosovo. It was like a geopolitical conflict. Hmm. Um, or it was 9-11. Like 9-11 itself was like this incredibly traumatic thing. And uh, if you're a person who was like, you know, your whole life, you were like, America's evil, America's the source of all evil. And then suddenly this thing happens that's super evil and kills 3,000 people and was done by the enemies of America. How do you reconcile those two? The conspiracy theory acts as a bridge. It bridges the cognitive dissonance. It allows you to keep thinking America is the source of all evil while also assimilating the horrifying reality of the World Trade Center being reduced to rubble. There is no other, there is no other 
thought system that bridges those two things, except a conspiracy theory. So, so, so it's a really interesting way to look at it. So to, instead of trying to fight the conspiracy, you say, when did you, you know, when was it you started thinking like this or Just try and find out what's in there. But, and you're not, I don't look, I don't think you're going to convince them, but by the way, in the same way, you're not, you know, all these, all these atheists and stuff, they're online, like read them debating religious people, like, like as if the atheist is going to make some like super pithy remark or quote Christopher Hitchens in just the right way that the religious person would say, oh my God, you're right, I've wasted my life. Uh, you know, <laughs> I'm going to start listening to Sam Harris podcast. Like that never happens. And it's stupid to try and do that. And those debates are, I mean, they're amusing. Uh, and, you know, I guess maybe the atheists know that they're not going to succeed. But like if the atheist and the religious person are going to talk, it's much more interesting to, for like to say, well, when did you start? When did you start becoming religious? What does what does religion give you in your life? Um, you know, is your husband religious? Is your wife religious? Like, start asking questions about their psychology, like their how they see the world. And even if you don't convince them of anything, you're going to learn something about how people how people's minds operate. Like that was the value for writing the book, uh, because I realized that we are we are all in some senses we have the ingredients of conspiracism. We all want to know why bad things happen to good people, and we don't have perfect trust in the authority figures who are supposed to manage human evil. And conspiracism is a pathological extrapolation and combination of those two elements. But we all have some baseline level of both elements within us. And it manifests itself when we have political arguments. Because when we get heated, sometimes we sound like conspiracy theorists. You know, oh, you're, you know, you're a conservative. You, know, you just want to go kill people in the Middle East or whatever. Like... Okay, well, that's the way conspiracy theorists well, well, talk. What's, what's, what do you think is the closest you become to a conspiracy theorist? Oh, God. Uh, the closest I become to a conspiracy theorist is when I'm on social media and I'm mad at somebody, and I don't, I find myself not picturing themselves, not picturing them as an actual human being. I picture them as like a sort of like globular manifestation of evil. And that's when I know when I have to like, you know, put down the phone. Because, yeah. And people do that, by the way, people do that when they're driving a car. Because the bubble of glass and steel around us allows us to picture people in other cars not as human beings, but as like sort of two-dimensional stick figures who are, who are horrifying evil people. Um, you know, the cure for that, as I said in the autism example, is the, the closer you get, the more personal you get, your family doctor, your friends, that's what reintroduces the spark of trust in your life. Uh, if all you're doing is reading the mass media social media, um, it's, it's, it's easy to become distrustful of society at large. Great. Well, Jonathan McKay, thanks for your thoughts on conspiracy theories. Thanks for having me. Dealing with them. Yeah. Thanks. Appreciate it. Hang on. I want you to have a copy of what I think is one of my best books that I've ever written, Reinvent Yourself. Right now is the greatest opportunity you will ever have to create the life you want. And I've talked to so many people about this, plus my own experience. So go to www.reinventbook.net right now. I'm excited about what this book can do for you. The next step, claim your copy before they're gone. Just go to www.reinventbook.net to learn more. That's www.reinventbook.net. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. 
Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.